There was a mother who was preparing a special breakfast for her two boys. They were six and three years old, and uh, she thought one day she'd cook them a very special breakfast, and so they were going to have pancakes together. And so she was getting the pancakes ready, really, really delicious, cooking up the first one. Then all of a sudden, she heard the two boys starting to bicker. They were starting to fight with each other. Those of you who are parents know how this goes. It's like, oh, I want the first pancake. No, I want the first pancake. It's not fair. You always get the first pancake. How come I can't have the first pancake? So back and forth, this went for a little while until the mother decided this was a great opportunity to be able to teach the boys something about Jesus. And so she stopped them and she said to them, if Jesus was here, then he would say, let my brother have the first pancake because that way I can serve him and I don't mind being the one who goes second. So without missing a beat, the older brother said to the younger brother, you can be Jesus today. (laughs) Today we're continuing our series where we're walking through God's big epic story. And while that's a fairly funny example of what it looks like for us to be selfish, I do want to name that up front today we're going to go through some stuff that is a little bit heavy. And it's really easy, as we start to talk about selfishness, to do one of two things. First of all, to be able to say, yes, that's exactly right. I wish everybody else would be less selfish. And in particular, to think about all the incidents where other people have hurt us and other people have done things to us, and to be able to say, yes, if only those people hadn't been so selfish, then that stuff wouldn't have happened. But we can also do something else which is interesting because we easily dismiss the times when we happen to have been selfish. To be able to say, well, I've got a good reason why I did that. I've got a good excuse why I did that. And so we can dismiss that it's just because I was really tired or there was some other stuff going on or this other thing was happening. And so that's why I was selfish. And so my encouragement to us is to be able to kind of push both of those things aside, to not make today about, yes, everyone else should do that, And also to not dismiss too quickly those times when we know that we have chosen selfishness. Because as we'll see as we go through today's message, what God wants us to be able to do is to own up to those times when we make mistakes, to recognise that God still loves us and accepts us, even though we make mistakes at times. But to recognise that God's best is always that we choose love, that God's best is always that we choose to love other people. And in those times when we do make mistakes, it's important for us to just be able to name that and to be able to work that through, not blame other people, but then be able to experience God's forgiveness in our lives and then start again and move forward again with love at the centre of who we are. So as I said, today we're continuing through this big series called Epic, God's Big Story. And so last week we began where we talked about the first episode of God's Big Story, which was Designed. And we talked about how God created us for a purpose, that God created us to be in a full, complete relationship with him and a full, complete relationship with other people and to look after this creation that he had made. And so if you weren't around last week, you can feel free uh, to go to our website, Facebook page, we can subscribe to our podcast and uh, you can have a listen to that if that's helpful. And we've been saying that this is really important for us to understand this big story that we're going to spend this term looking at because it's what's called a meta-narrative, which is a really big word that just means a big story that gives us meaning. A really big story, God's big story, but one that gives us a sense of purpose, helps us to understand our identity and who we are, and helps to shape the decisions that we make in our lives. 
So inside of Caring Connection, you have your teaching notes, and so if it's helpful to jot things down as we go through today's message, feel free to do that. But you've also got a question sheet in there. And uh, so I've been saying that through this series, we want to collect questions, because at the end of the series, we'll be doing a Q&A Sunday. And so if, as we go through the message, something jumps out at you that doesn't make any sense, or something that you disagree with, or you want to challenge, uh, then you can feel free to write that question down. And then there's a question box at the back of the chapel. And so you can just drop that sheet off at the end of the service and uh, we'll be able to grab all of those and we'll use them at the end of the series. So today our episode that we're looking at is called Broken. And the kind of catchphrase that we're using or the summary of it is that when we choose selfishness, it leads to brokenness. When we choose selfishness, it inevitably leads to brokenness. And so we understand, as I said, that God created us with this awesome plan, this amazing design for us to live in a full relationship with him and each other, but he also gave us a choice. He gave us an option to be able to say yes to his big plan or to be able to say no and walk away from it. And I don't know about you, but there are times when I ask, why on earth did God give us the option? Because when you look at what our world is like a lot of the times, it would have been a lot better if God had just made us to live the way that he created us to live. If everyone just chose love all of the time, if everyone just did the right thing all of the time, our world would be a much, much better place, wouldn't it? But God didn't wire us that way. He gave us the opportunity to say yes and the opportunity to say no. But the reason why God chose to do that is the reason God does a lot of things, and it's this word, love. That God didn't want us to be robots God didn't want us to be computers that are just programmed to follow a set of instructions and then do what we're told. God created us to be a part of his family. God created us to be in a relationship with him, with love at the centre of that. And you can't have love without choice. It's not love anymore if someone's just forced into a relationship. And so God gives us the opportunity to be able to say yes to his best or to be able to choose to walk away from it. And so as we see, right from the beginning, humanity has made the choice to say thanks but no thanks to God's best. That's what we're going to unpack today. So we're in Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And it says, Now the snake was the most cunning animal that the Lord God had made. The snake asked the woman, Did God really tell you not to eat from any tree in the garden? So this already raises a bunch of questions. Where'd the snake come from? First of all, we don't read about snakes in God's original intention. So was the snake one of the animals that God created? And if you're someone who doesn't like snakes, like me, you're like, why did God create snakes at all? But maybe God didn't make it. Maybe it was some mutation or something that showed up. Who knows? Was it a talking snake? And if so, again, did God make it a talking snake? Were all the animals able to talk or just the snake? There's lots of questions here. But then we go a bit deeper and we say we believe that this snake was actually working on behalf of the enemy, the devil, Satan. And so is this a snake that was possessed by Satan, by the devil? Is this a snake that had taken on the form of a snake but it was actually the enemy? And the short answer is we don't know. We don't know the answer to any of those questions because the Bible doesn't tell us anything about it. But what we do know throughout the rest of scripture is that there is this enemy that exists. We do believe that there is a being who is different to God, whose sole purpose is to drag us away from God's best. And what that being is like, we don't exactly know, but we do know what the enemy's strategies are. And it looks a lot like what the snake asks as a question. 
Did God really say that? It's one of the biggest strategies that the enemy likes to use. Just sowing a little seed of doubt, a little seed of mistrust. The enemy loves to just twist things, distort things, breed a sense of disunity by putting these thoughts into our head. And I don't know if you've ever had that, but did God really say that? Are you sure that's what you believe? Can you believe what that person said? Can you believe what that person's wearing? Can you believe that that person's acting like that? All of these little tiny questions that just tend to distort things, just tend to sow a little bit of disunity. Generally, it's not really overt. It's these little subtle things that get us to start questioning the things that are God's best. And the enemy's key strategy is simply this. If I can keep you distracted from what God's best is, then my job is done. All I want to do is make you think about anything else except for God. So if I can sow these little seeds that turn your attention away from God, that's what I'm on about. So question that the snake asks is, did God really tell you that you couldn't eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? It's kind of sowing these seeds and saying, that seems a little bit harsh. You're not allowed to eat from any of the trees in the garden. Don't you think that's a bit unfair? If I was you, I would feel like that was a little bit unfair. Well, fortunately, Eve, the woman, is onto this snake and she replies in verse 2 and says, no, we may eat the fruit of any tree in the garden except the tree in the middle of it. God told us not to eat the fruit of that tree or even touch it because if we do, then we will die. So this is a really, really good reply. Actually, no, that's not what God said. God actually said we could eat the fruit of any of the trees that we wanted to except for this one here. So this is what God actually said. But it's interesting that she actually adds a little bit more to what God's original instructions were. If we flip back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, these are the instructions that God actually gave. The Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What's missing from there that Eve said? There's nothing there about not being allowed to touch the fruit, but because of the defensiveness of being challenged, just sowing these seeds by the snake, all of a sudden, Eve kind of adds to what God has said. God said they couldn't eat from the fruit, but Eve says, in fact, we're not even allowed to touch it. We're not allowed to go anywhere near it. She adds to what God has said. And it's a real challenge for us, as we touched on in the kids' talk today, that it's so easy for us to forget about all of the stuff that we've got and instead start to feel a little bit of like, ah, oh, but what about, what about, what about? And think about all the things that we have. We all live in houses. Most of us have cars or we have modes of transport that we can use. We all have food that we can eat. We have clothes that we can wear. We all have friends and family that surround us and encourage us. And so how often do we take the time to say, no, look at all of the good stuff that I have in my life. I'm going to practice gratitude for all the good things that I've got. But how much do we think about what we don't have? Yeah, I've got a house, but I really need to fix this thing. I really need to get this thing sorted out. We really need to add this to our house. It'd be really great if we had a bigger TV, honestly. The one that we've got is not quite big enough. bigger one will be better. I'd like to have a better car. My car's getting a bit out of date. It'd be nice to have some new gadgets. I wish that I had better clothes. I need to update my wardrobe a little bit. I wish that we could go out and eat 
a little bit more often. Some of us might even think, I wish that I could upgrade my friends or my family, but that's a whole other conversation that we won't get into today. (laughs) Practicing gratitude is so super important for us because it turns our attention back to what we already have instead of what we don't have. And in our culture, we're bombarded with advertising all the time that tells us you need this thing for your life to be better. And so we have to be disciplined to regularly be practicing gratitude because otherwise all of this discontentment kicks in in our lives, all of this frustration kicks in in our lives. We have to focus on what we do have instead of focusing on what we don't have. Well, the snake doesn't give up at this point. In verse 4, he comes up with another thing. He says, well, that's not true. You won't die. So he replies back to the woman. So, okay, she got away with the thing about you are allowed to eat from some of the fruit. But then he challenges and says, well, you won't die. God said that because he knows that when you eat it, you'll be like God and you'll know what is good and what is bad. Other translations of this probably more accurately say you will not certainly die or you won't immediately die, which I think is probably more helpful. Again, just twisting things a little bit to be able to say, well, you're not definitely going to die. Like, God doesn't really know. Maybe you won't die. Maybe you should eat it and find out. I'm sure it'll be fine. What's the worst that could happen? Or you won't immediately die. Well, it won't happen straight away, so live a little now. Just enjoy it now. Don't worry about that. That's going to happen later. You'll be totally fine. But also the enemy is trying to twist and manipulate their perception of God. God's actually trying to deprive you of something because he knows that if you eat the fruit then you'll actually be like God and you'll be able to make decisions for yourself. Imagine what that would be like. All of a sudden, you don't have to rely on God. That's a bit frustrating, isn't it? Who wants to have someone telling him what to do? Isn't it better to be able to make your own decisions and to be able to choose for yourself? And it's fascinating that the snake uses this language to say, if you eat it, you will be like God. Because we talked last week that our original design was actually to be like God. We were created in the image of God. All of us are image bearers of God. So technically, that's a true statement already. We are all like God. We're created to be people who are like God, relational beings, people who focus on loving other people, people who focus on caring for other people. But what the snake's obviously saying is not, you will be like God in terms of resembling God, but you'll be able to take the place of God. You'll be able to take on the role of God. You'll be able to be God. That's the temptation that he throws out in front of them. And so now things start to fall apart. In verse 6, the woman saw how beautiful the tree was and how good its fruit would be to eat. And she thought how wonderful it would be to become wise. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband and he also ate it. As soon as they'd eaten it, they were given understanding and they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves. So the seed has been sown and all of a sudden she starts looking at that tree. She probably hadn't even noticed it or paid that much attention to it. She had so much else to be able to eat. But now all of a sudden, actually you're right, that tree does look pretty good and that fruit does look really, really tasty. I bet it tastes better than anything else that I've eaten before. Of course, I want to be able to eat from it. 
And in actual fact, now that I think about it, I would like to be able to make my own decisions. I don't want to have to rely on other people and God telling me what to do. I should be able to choose for myself. And that's actually one of the best ways of articulating what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. Being able to recognise that it's the tree of I'll choose for myself. Really what's going on here is to say, I want the knowledge of good and evil. I want to know everything because if I know everything, then I can make my own decisions. So understanding that this is choosing to eat from the tree of I'll choose for myself, thank you very much, is really, really helpful. I don't want to have to wait from God. I don't want to have to learn from God. I want to choose. And this is the reality of what's at the core of selfishness. I want to know. I want to be able to choose. I don't want to have to rely on anyone else. I want what I want. That's what's at the core of selfishness. And so they go ahead and they eat the fruit. And the key word that we talked about last week in terms of what God's original design for us was peace. This idea of being able to live in a peace-filled relationship with God, with each other, with creation. And in an instant, as soon as they eat that, that peace is gone. Suddenly, they realise that they need to cover up this beautiful sense of intimacy, this no sense of embarrassment, this freedom to just be themselves is gone in a second. And instead, they feel the need to cover up and to hide themselves from each other. Verse 8 then, That evening they heard the Lord God walking in the garden, and they hid from him among the trees. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? The NIV translation of this talks about God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And uh, last week, Ali and I went for a walk. Uh, It was quite cool, a little too cool, but it was still really, really beautiful. And so we went for a walk down the beach, took the dog down the beach. And so there's this beautiful picture of just the peace that comes from being able to be in an environment like that. And when I think about God walking in the cool of the day, these are the sorts of images that come to mind for me. I think about what we are all craving a month, month and a half from now, and the temperature gets up into the low 20s. And that moment towards the end of the day when the air is still warm, but there's a cool breeze that started to kick in, and it's just beautiful, peace-filled. That's the picture that we have of what creation was like originally. Humanity being able to just walk with God, be able to be in a place of peace. So God comes walking, and he asks this interesting question. Where are you? Now, obviously, God knows exactly where they are. He's not kind of like, where'd you go? Where have they gone? I can't find them anymore. And it's probably more accurate to translate this along this way, to say, why are you hiding from me? Or why don't you want to spend time with me? It's kind of like when you're in a conversation with someone and you know that suddenly they start thinking about something else, you know, that moment when you can tell that they become distracted and you kind of say, hey, where'd you go? That's the impression that we get of what God is saying here. But it's really important to recognise that God comes looking for them. God knows what's happened, but he comes searching for them. And he comes with a question, not with an accusation, not with anger, not with a big smackdown, but saying, where are you? And it's beautiful to see God's faithfulness. God's willingness to come searching 
even in the midst of choices to walk away from God's best, even in the midst of selfishness and disobedience. And we're going to come back next week and talk about that more as we talk about the journey of the Old Testament. But it's a great reminder for us that it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter the mistakes that we've made, the selfishness that we've chosen. God doesn't turn his back on us. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't walk away from us. He doesn't come and yell at us. He simply comes and he says, what's going on? Why don't you want to spend time with me? What's happened that's put a barrier in our relationship? Well, the man replies in verse 10, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid and I hid from you because I was naked. And this is where if we really allow ourselves to enter into the story, we have to feel the sadness of what has changed. Again, think about that original picture, the beauty of being able to be with God in the cool of the evening, the sense of peace, the sense of love, the sense of acceptance and openness. And now what are the words that we read? I was afraid. I hid from you. I had to cover myself up. Shame has kicked in. Fear has kicked in. Embarrassment has kicked in. And that's why we call episode two of God's big story broken because God's original design, God's original plan has now been fractured. It's been broken. The opportunity for us to be in a full, complete relationship with God with nothing between us has snapped. We've used a couple of different illustrations with our youth and with our kids to help us understand what this looks like. At youth group last week, uh, we had the students do a design on a tile. And so all of them created this beautiful design as we talked about what it looks like for God to create something. But then on Wednesday nights, we had them smash those tiles, which was a pretty confronting thing to do. But we're trying to get in touch with this reality of what it looks like when you've created something for it to get broken. The kids out in God's gang this morning are going to smear some Vaseline on one of the windows. Don't worry, we'll clean it off. Uh, And also on a mirror to be able to recognise that when we choose to walk away from God's best, it distorts everything. We can't see things clearly. We can't see God clearly. We can't see each other clearly. We can't even see ourselves clearly. Brokenness has entered into the story. And so how does God respond to this reality of brokenness kicking in? Well, he says, Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? The man answered, The woman you put, me, you put here with me gave me the fruit and I ate it. And the Lord God asked the woman, why did, you eat? why did you do this? And she replied, The snake tricked me into eating it. Again, God doesn't accuse, doesn't get angry. He just asks some pretty simple questions. But how does the man respond? Blame. It was the woman's fault. It wasn't my fault. She gave it to me. And in actual fact, now that I think about it, she's the woman that you put here. So if you want to blame anyone, God, blame yourself. Because if you hadn't created her, then she wouldn't have been here to give me the fruit in the first place. So it's actually all your fault. Then God turns to the woman. And what does she do? Blame. The snake tricked me. It wasn't my fault. I wasn't really paying attention. And all of a sudden, this all happened. And implied underneath the words that we've got is actually the same accusation. Where did this snake come from anyway? You must have either created this snake, so it's your fault, you put, or you allowed the snake in the garden. So how did the snake get here? Again, it's all your fault, God. Don't blame me. You did it. 
There's no taking responsibility. There's no sense of acknowledging, yes, I messed up. I made a wrong choice. I'm sorry for what I did. Just excuses, blame. How can I point the finger at someone else to get myself off the hook? So this whole story, this whole incident, is what we in church sometimes call the fall because we believe that this is us falling away from God's best, falling away from what God's original design was. And one of the key words that we talk about when we talk about the consequences of the fall that you've probably heard before is the word sin. And sin can be this really loaded word that means a whole bunch of different things to different people. We've talked before about how sin is actually a very simple word that was around in biblical times, and it was actually a term that was used in the context of something like archery, where you've got a bullseye, and the word sin simply meant missing the mark, that if you miss the bullseye, then that was a term that they would use. Oh, you sinned, you missed the mark. And so we've adopted that to recognise that there's a bullseye that all of us are aiming for, which is to love perfectly 100% of the time. And when we don't love perfectly, when we choose selfishness instead, we've missed the mark. And that's what we believe sin is. And to me, that's the most helpful way of understanding it, being able to say sin is about selfishness. Sin is about me saying, I want what's best for me. I don't want to have to think about the most loving thing to do. I don't want to think about how other people are impacted or how they'll feel. I just want to get mine. The root cause of the majority of the brokenness that we experience in our lives and in our world at the end of the day comes back to that. It comes back to selfishness where somewhere along the line somebody said, I want what's best for me over what's best for somebody else. I want my way. I want my perspective. I don't want to have to do the work to think about how it's going to hurt someone else or I just don't have the capacity to think about how this is going to hurt, uh, hurt other people because of stuff that's happened to me. I don't know what it means to choose love. But at the end of the day, it's always about selfishness. And those selfish choices what we call sin, then causes these fractures, these breaks in our relationship with God, in our relationship with other people, and in our relationship with ourselves. Because instead, we all do the same thing. We choose to make excuses. We play the blame game. We feel shame. We feel fear. We feel embarrassment. So as we wrap up our message and get ready to transition into communion, the question that we've got to reflect on heading into this week is the same one that we're using all the way through this series. How does God's story shape my identity and my purpose? So how does what we've talked about today shape who I am and shape the reason that I'm here? We've said that we believe we're created to be in a full, complete relationship with God and with each other and to look after the world that he created. But we know that built into all of us is this urge, this pull to choose selfishness. And that is amplified and fed in significant ways in our Western culture and in our Australian culture. Very little pushes back against the idea of selfishness and we're encouraged to chase it in significant ways. And so every day we have multiple choices that we have to make. Am I going to choose God's best? Am I going to choose love 
or am I going to choose selfishness? Am I going to walk away from God's best? And when we put it that way, it seems so obvious what we want to choose. Well, of course I want to choose the loving thing to do. Of course I want to choose God's best. Of course I don't want to choose selfishness. But all of us know that every day we then struggle to make that choice, don't we? Someone doesn't meet our expectations. I know I can be very guilty of this because often I haven't even articulated what those expectations are of somebody else. But how come they didn't meet my expectations? How come they didn't do what I thought that they should do even if I didn't communicate that to them? I get frustrated because things don't go the way that I want them to. And instead of choosing love, instead of choosing to extend peace, instead of stopping long enough to recognise, oh, actually we didn't even talk about that, selfishness kicks in and I want what I want and how come that all didn't work out? We're driving in the car, someone cuts us off in traffic. All of a sudden there's this urge in us that kicks in to get frustrated. Instead of stopping to recognise that maybe it was just that the other person wasn't paying attention or they were distracted or maybe they're having a really bad day or maybe they're in a hurry because they have to get somewhere, we react with help dare someone come and cut me off in traffic? Can you believe me? They cut me off in traffic. How is that possible? Someone says something that hurts us. Instead of slowing down, gently extending love and peace to that person to maybe clarify what they said because maybe we misinterpreted what it was that they said. Instead of giving them an opportunity to, what's going, to explain what's going on, Instead of taking the time to be able to say, did you know that that actually really hurt me because when you did that, that brought up all of these feelings for me? Instead of taking the time to be able to do that, we lash out. We say something back. We don't say anything at all. We give them the cold shoulder because we're feeling hurt. Over and over again, we make these reactions and a lot of it is shaped by the default posture that we have in our lives. Is our default posture inside of us a place of peace and love or is it a place of frustration, a place of tiredness, a place where we're on edge? Because whatever that default posture is will go a long way to shaping the decisions and the choices that we make. And we have to accept that when we choose selfishness, when we choose to walk away, it inevitably leads to brokenness. It inevitably leads to some kind of fracture in the way that we understand God, in the way that we look at other people, and in the way that we think about ourselves. So another way of being able to think about how we could reflect on this as we head into this week, this week is to put it this way. What would help me to choose God's best this week? What would help me to choose God's best? In my decisions, in my reactions, in my interactions with other people, what would help me to choose love and peace instead of reacting in a way that might cause brokenness. And so there's a number of examples that we could give. Last week, we talked about what it looks like for us to allow our identity by being shaped by the reality that we are children of God. And I hope that for some of us, we've taken some time this week to look in the mirror and to change the soundtrack in our mind, to say, I am a child of God. That's who I am. Or to be able to, in those quiet moments, slow down and recognise this is who I am. Someone who's loved and accepted by God. It could be about us starting our day with gratitude. Taking the time to just stop in the morning and say, here's three things that I'm really grateful for as I begin my day. Instead of starting out with all the things that I don't have. 
could be about taking a deep breath before I respond to someone. Instead of just quickly flying off the handle, okay, let me just think about how I want to respond. And in doing that, it could be about consciously saying to myself, this other person who's in front of me, they're also a child of God. They're also someone who is loved and accepted completely by God. So what's the best way of me being able to respond to them? Or it could simply be about stopping long enough to ask ourselves the question, do I really want to create more brokenness in this world? Do I really want to add to what's already there? So what would help me to choose God's best this week? If there's something that comes to mind for you, I'd encourage you to write it down so that as you then get home, you can think about that. You can put it into practice as we go through the week. Now, it's really, really important to note as we wrap up this message, which, as I said at the start, is fairly heavy, that this is not the end of the story. We're going to talk in a couple of weeks about the reality that Jesus has done everything necessary to remove the brokenness of sin, of selfishness, to remove the stain, to put things back the way that they were always supposed to be. And we're going to talk about the reality that Jesus does that by entering into our brokenness, that Jesus comes to be one of us so that he can understand what life is like for us to fully enter into our brokenness, but in doing so to be able to heal that completely so that it's not what we have to experience. And so as we feel challenged, as we feel convicted about those times that we mess up, we also have to remind ourselves that we don't have to beat ourselves up about it, that God loves us and accepts us, even with the mistakes that we make even with the times that we walk away from God's best, we get a fresh start. God's forgiveness is there for us. We simply need to say, yep, I messed up. I'm sorry, God, and restart and choose his best. So I'm going to pray that as we head into this week, we can balance those two things, feeling challenged about those times when we respond, not the way that God wants us to, but also recognizing that God loves us passionately and has this best life for us. So let's pray. God, we thank you again for your big story. And as we take some time today to be able to focus on this part of your big story, we can only imagine how much it must have broken your heart to see your original design, your original creation torn apart. The choice to say, actually, God, we would rather pick for ourselves. We'd rather walk away from your best because we want to know And not just because that's a choice to walk away from your best, but because of all of the implications of that, that you create us to experience peace and wholeness and love, and yet we choose to walk away from that and instead to experience brokenness and blame and shame and fear and embarrassment. must have broken your heart to see all of that become a reality. And each day it must break your heart again when we make those choices when we have the opportunities to experience your love and your peace in our lives, but instead we choose to walk away from that because of all sorts of different reasons. And so I pray that as we head into this week, you would continue to challenge us about what it looks like to be people who embrace your way of life, to be people who extend peace to all of the people that we connect with this week, our families, our friends, the people that we connect with in our workplaces, in our schools, at uni, 
all of the different places that we're going to go, the people that we see at the shops, our neighbours, that you would help us to be able to be people who extend peace, people who don't continue to perpetuate the cycle of brokenness, but instead make choices that are aligned with what you created us for. And in those times when we don't get it right, as we inevitably won't, in those times when we mess up, help us to remember that you don't turn your back on us, you don't walk away from us, you don't get angry at us, you come searching for us to say, what's going on? Why did you make that choice? I'm here with you. I'm here for you. And so help us to be able to turn back to you, to acknowledge the mistakes that we make, and to be able to move forward in love. In your name we pray. Amen.